Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. Good morning, Calvary. I'm Joshua, one of the pastors here, and uh, I want to take just a quick minute before we dive into the Word this morning. Uh, October is uh, Pastors Appreciation Month, and uh, I know we've been celebrating the uh, the miracle and the things that God has been doing in Jeff's body, but I just want to just take a quick minute just to celebrate Jeff just for who he is in our midst as our pastor. Um, yeah. So Jeff, I, I just wanted to, to voice just on behalf of the congregation our, our gratefulness and gratitude for who you are in our midst, for your faithfulness, the way you lead so well with integrity, um, the way that you, have, you shepherd our hearts, um, the way that you uh, dedicate yourself to the word and to the Lord, um, to not just lead us in your own strength, but you really lean into him and you lead us so well and we're so grateful for for all that you do, and we're grateful for your health being restored so that you can be back in our midst just being yourself uh, among us. So Calvary, would you join me again in just, just saying thank you? And also, I want to take some time, uh, just a quick minute, in case you've been um, under a rock for the last few weeks. There's been a lot of stuff going on in Israel. Um, and I want to just take a, a couple of minutes to... Uh, rehearse and remember the the goodness and the sovereignty of God and the plan of the Lord as He leads us so well in the midst of uh, in the midst of such great shaking and turmoil. If you guys remember, uh, back in the spring and into the summer, Israel was on the verge of a civil war. Um, there was such a massive amount of civil unrest in the nation related to some reforms in the government, and uh, there were people on the left side and the right side just, just going at it. And we, there, were, there were leaders, not just talking heads, but leaders in the nation using the word civil war. They said, we are on the brink of an all-out civil war in Israel. And if you remember fast, uh, if you rewind a little bit back to the spring, the Lord in his sovereignty began to stir up leaders across the world to raise up an intercessory movement for, this, for Israel called the Isaiah 62 fast, um, in which there were more people in the earth fasting and praying for Israel at the same time for 21 days than has ever done it in the history of the planet. The largest prayer movement ever in the world for Israel. And God, in the same time frame as, as there was civil, almost civil war in the land, God says, I've got a remedy. It's called intercession. It's called fasting and prayer for Israel. Then, all the way back to last year, the Lord was stirring up in our hearts as a people here at Calvary to actually send a group to Israel. And in June, uh, late June, early July of this year, we had 15 of us go to Israel in the wake of the greatest intercessory movement ever known for Israel. God had already sovereignly um, designed things that we would actually be in the land in that hour. In fact, right outside of our hotel room one of those nights, there was one of the protests that you see on the news, and there were people all over the place, and we got video and stuff of it, and we were safe. It was a peaceful protest, uh, thank goodness, but, um, but there was such massive turmoil in the nation. And I remember a number of times from this, from this pulpit 
when we were in the 21-day fast for Israel, we were celebrating what a great momentous thing this was. This is such an exciting thing that more people right now are praying for Israel than ever before. However, that, that coin had another side of it. And I remember us saying, but wait a minute, the, other, the sobering side of that is what's about to happen in Israel that God saw it fit to raise up millions of intercessors across the planet to pray for Israel. Yes, it was exciting, but there was a sober part of it too. We said, what's about to happen? We didn't know, but we were saying, what's going to happen in Israel that the Lord said, I need to preempt this thing with intercession and fasting and prayer? Well, little did we know at the time that all heck was going to break loose in the land. And a few weeks ago, we had a, a, there was a massive uh, attack, and uh, I won't go into all the details. You can find those um, in, in a lot of places, but more people on that Saturday died in Israel. More Jews died in Israel on that day than have died in a single event since the Holocaust. This was a massive, massive event with involving children and, and families and mothers and just the brutality of a terrorist group that would just come and, and, and lay waste to entire neighborhoods. And so I just want to say this morning before we get into the word that me personally and, and, and Calvary, we would just want to say unequivocally, we are a people who stand with the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. They are God's people. They are our brothers. And, and unequivocally, we, we, we do not apologize about that. Now, having said that, standing with Israel also does not necessarily mean we agree with every decision the government makes. So we can't just say, well, if Israel does it, we support Israel, therefore we're for that. Even God doesn't do it that way. I mean, read through the Old Testament and tell me God agrees with everything that the government of Israel does. <laughs> like, he doesn't. But they're his chosen people. They're the apple of his eye. So I want to just equip us just a little bit as we process through these things with our friends, with our neighbors, with other people. We stand for Israel. We stand for, with the Jewish people. But that does not mean we carte blanche agree with every single thing they do when they do it. Because we also know that it's the terrorist group, Hamas, that is causing such destruction in the land. It's not all Palestinian people. And it's really easy for us to start lumping things together and say, well, it's them and us. But guys, there are suffering people of all nationalities, of all religions. There are suffering people in the land right now who are hunkering down in bunkers, afraid for the lives of their children. And so we want to be a people of prayer, and if you like, I don't really know what to pray sometimes. It's so confusing of the land and whose land is it and where do they go and how. If, if you don't know how to pray, pray for people. Pray for families. Pray for salvation. Pray for peace. Pray for strength. You can never go wrong with that. And then the last thing I want to equip us in is to be careful the type of language we use, even when talking about such atrocities and such evil personified as what we see with Hamas, this uh, terrorist organization. Beloved, I do not wish hell upon any one of them. If you had an inkling, even as small as a grain of rice, of what hell and eternal separation from God would be like, you would not wish that on anyone. 
So we don't pray the fire of hell and damnation upon them, even though that is some of the most evil things I've ever seen in my life that they're doing right now. I pray that they would turn. I pray that the light of God would be released. I pray that the testimony of Jesus would go forth. I pray that the word of the Lord would run swiftly and be glorified. I do not pray for condemnation and hell upon those people. I don't wish that on anybody. So can we be a people who, who agree to say, look, we may not know all the, the, the politics, we may not know all the answers, but we're a people of prayer, and we're going to pray that salvation would spring up from the ground in Gaza, in Israel, and the surrounding nations. And the Bible doesn't leave us without prayer points on this. Psalm 122.6 tells us quite clearly, in very few words, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So you're like, well, I don't know what to pray. Well, as I said earlier, pray for people, pray for souls. Here's another easy thing to pray for. Pray for peace in the land. Pray for peace in Jerusalem. That's been one of the primary uh, psalms, Psalm 22.6, that I've been praying out of throughout this uh, whole event, this whole war. And this gets us to where we're going to go today. Peace. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. What does that word mean, peace? It's the Hebrew word shalom. And so we're going to look at today, what does shalom actually mean? And then how do we find shalom? Is shalom available to us? Are we supposed to walk in shalom? And then if so, how do we find it? How do we get it? So we're going to look at that word shalom today. Now, the, the Bible, as we've learned the last few weeks, anybody been here the last, uh, last three weeks or so? <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> well, one of the things we've learned is the Bible translation sometimes is kind of hard, especially when you're translating the, the Hebrew language. The Hebrew language is quite interesting. In the Hebrew language, some words, because they don't have like vowels as we would have vowels. So sometimes you'll, there's a word, there's no vowels. You're like, well, this is either dig or dog. <laughs> there's no, I don't, so what you have to do is you have to use context clues to say, well, I'm going to go out and dig a hole. I'm probably not going to go out and dog a hole. So then you would say, well, then this must be dig. Okay, that's the way our Bible translators do a lot of these things. They just use context because the word can, can be translated a number of different ways. Also, when translating the Hebrew language, it's sometimes quite interesting because Hebrew, some words have a depth that we just don't have in the English language. The word can have so many different meanings, not only just different meanings, but a depth of meaning. And so sometimes our Bible translators, as it relates to a word like the Hebrew word shalom, for example, the NIV, it's a good translation, we like the NIV, the NIV translates the Hebrew word shalom 237, or the word shalom shows up 237 different ways. They translate it 70 different ways. So as we read through the, 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 the NIV, for example, 70 different words if you look at the Hebrew, it's actually just it's the Hebrew word shalom. They've translated it 70 different ways. And it's a quite common word. Again, I said it, like I said, it's 237 times in the Old Testament. Of those 237 times, about 200 of those times 
it's translated as peace. And that's what we generally would think of, right? When we think of the word shalom, we think shalom means peace. And it does. But when we think of peace, we normally just think of the absence of conflict, right? We want peace in the Middle East, meaning we want the war to cease. All right, I want peace between these two people. They're fighting, and I want peace. I just want the conflict to stop. That's what we normally think of when we think of peace. So we translate shalom means peace. Peace means the absence of conflict. That is true, but this word is far more vast than just stop fighting. This is one of the deepest and all-encompassing words in the entire scripture. As I've begun to study it, I've begun to realize the power of this word. So after studying this word shalom, I've gone through all 237 instances in the Old Testament. I've studied each one. I've looked at the context, looked at different translations, and I've actually just come up with a list. This is not a comprehensive list. This is my list of ways that shalom, the, the meaning of that word shalom, how varied it is. The word shalom, if you look at it in its context, can mean complete, whole, fullness, perfect. Again, it does mean peace. There are times when it means welfare, soundness, like soundness of mind, prosperity, safety, rest, harmony. There are times when shalom literally is talking about physical health, our health in our bodies. That's why we've been praying shalom over Jeff. It means security. It means order or to bring things into order. It means vitality and even means to preserve. And when it's used as a verb, it often uh, can be translated as to restore or to bring something to completion. So it doesn't just mean complete, it also means the act of bringing something into completion. Just a couple of more little kind of trivia things about this word and then we'll, we'll dig into the scripture. The New Testament has its own counterpart. So we know that the Old Testament is written mostly in Hebrew, New Testament is mostly written in Greek. So in the New Testament, they have sort of their counterpart of the word shalom, and it's the word irene. In fact, when you have the Hebrews, the, the, the Jewish translation of the New Testament, most of the time when you see irene, they use the word shalom. So it is sort of the Greek counterpart to that Jewish word. And irene appears 92 times in the New Testament. So you've got 237 times shalom in the Old Testament, 92 times irene, which is the, the shalom counterpart in the Greek, appears in the New Testament. That's a lot of times where this word pops up. I think it might be a little bit important for us, do you think? And this word irene in the Greek, if you look, at, look up the meaning of that word, it means this. It means a condition of law and order that results in the blessing of prosperity. What a great definition. Irene, or we'll just say shalom just for the sake of making it easy. A condition of law and order that results in the blessing of prosperity. One of the other things you'll find when you look at this word Shalom is that many times in the scripture, it's actually used to describe relationships. It's a community word. It's a relational word. 
It's often used to describe relationships between two individuals, a man and a man, a woman and a woman, a human and a human. It's also used to describe relationships between a nation and a nation. It's also used quite often in the context to speak of the relationship between God and man. So it's used man to man, nation to nation, and God to man. And one theologian wrote this, and I know this is a, a long little paragraph, but I want you to, to stay with me. This is so beautifully written. One theologian says this about how deep and how beautifully deep this word shalom is. He says, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. So, given these various usages and meanings, we can sort of ball those up and conclude that shalom at its core is the reality of security, fulfillment, and delight when we experience God's presence and he receives us and accepts us even in our weakness. Let me just give you a couple of word pictures here that, um, that illustrate shalom. We've got a lot of babies around here right now. Isn't that awesome? I just love all the little, little tiny little toes sticking out of the little things. Just, I love, it's just a baby season. I love it. But have you ever seen like a baby, you know, on the little blanket in the floor or in their little crib? And they're just crying crocodile tears, right? They're just screaming and crying. Their little lip is quivering, you know. And then the mom comes over, as only a mom can, and scoops it up. And within a second, there's this, there's like a little sigh, right? This little, okay. That sigh, that moment is shalom. The sigh of a crying baby when it's scooped up into its mom's arm and it's thinking, everything's okay now. That's shalom. Or have you ever seen, I know uh, we uh, dads, you know, moms get to scoop the baby up and be all cuddly with it. Dads, we like to scare kids, right? We like to jump around the corner, boo, you know. Well, have you ever scared a kid and all of a sudden he just turns around and just goes running, you know, for the fear of his life and he runs and just jumps into his daddy's arms? You know, when you're playing with a kid, that idea, or, or maybe a, a dog barks and, and the little kid just, <gasps> and he just takes off running and he jumps into his dad's lap and he turns around and almost has a little grin on his face. That's shalom. That is shalom. It's things are not okay, but I'm in my daddy's arms now and all is right. That's shalom. And so after studying all these usages and all the different translations and all the way the, the, this word can be used, I've come up with my own little definition. And this is just for me. I'm not saying this is theology, perfect theology. In fact, there may be scholars that say, Joshua, that's the dumbest definition I've ever heard in my life. But this is what I'm going with for me, okay? 
Shalom is simply the confident knowing that all is well in the presence of love. It's that confident knowing that when I'm in the arms of love, all is well. So if that's shalom, how can we have shalom? Are we, even, are we supposed to experience and walk into that kind of peace? Well, God's design for us, I'll answer my own question. God's design for us is to walk with him and walk in, with each other in shalom. That's actually God's design. Look at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. It's a famous passage that we read quite a bit during Christmas time. And it says, In and his name shall be called, this is, a, this is a prophecy about the coming, about the Son, the Jesus, the incarnation, the second person of the Trinity coming to the planet. It says, His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of what? Peace, which in Hebrew is? Okay. His name, his identity. When you name something, you're speaking of its identity. His name, his very identity is Shalom. It's who he is. Shalom is not something God possesses. It, he is it. It's something that he is. His name, his identity will be Prince of Peace and the increase of his government and and the increase of his government and of his peace, shalom, will know no end. He is shalom, and the increase of his shalom will never stop. Think about that for a second. It doesn't say that his, his shalom peace will last forever, although it will. It says its increase will never stop. The increase of the shalom of God will know no end. So not only is it prophesied that Jesus will be the whole and complete perfect man, it's his, it's his identity, but as the prince of peace, he's the administer of it. That's what princes do. Princes are the, the administers of the king's will. So by calling him the prince of peace, it's saying he is peace, and as the prince of peace, he's the administer of peace. That's good news. Even at the pronouncement of Jesus, if we flip over to the New Testament, even when Jesus comes to earth, the pronouncement of his coming to earth by the angel armies, they declare that shalom has come to earth and that it was available to all who rest in God's pleasure. Look at Luke 2.14. We have it up here on the screen. And again, this is another Christmas verse. The shepherds are out in the field probably a calm, quiet night, and all of a sudden they see the hosts of angels. Now, host just doesn't mean a lot. It's actually talking about the armies. of the, 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 These are warrior angels. And it must have been a little bit throwing them for a loop when they see these warring angels declaring peace. <laughs> like my brain probably would have fried a little bit. But they see the warring angels, and what do the warring angels say? They say, glory to God in the highest, and right now, on earth, Irene, shalom. 
In other words, they're saying, guys, a baby was just born, so you need to know something. Shalom itself has just touched the earth. Shalom on earth now, on earth, shalom. And then it says, it goes on to finish that phrase. It says, and on earth, irene, shalom, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Well, if Jesus is peace, he's the administer of peace. And when he touched the earth, the angel army says, peace has touched the earth. Shalom is here. Let me ask the question, where is it? I mean, look around, right? I mean, just open the newspaper. Do those exist anymore, newspapers? Anybody? Oh, they, they, okay. I didn't know. Flip through your Twitter feed. Turn on the news. Or for some of us, maybe turn off the news. But that's a whole different subject matter. Oh, I'm stepping on toes today, Jeff. I mean, our world is broken, is it not? I mean, do you see the shalom of God? Do you see peace in our world? I mean, you look around at nations against nations. Look around at some of our churches. Look around at our neighborhoods, our family dynamics. Even look at our own lives. Do we see peace? Do we see the shalom of God? Our world is so broken, and it needs to be put right. Our relationships are fractured and they need shalom. Perhaps our own personal lives are in disarray and we desperately need wholeness and harmony and health in our minds and our bodies. So there seems to be a little disconnect. Shalom is here. Shalom is Jesus. He is shalom. He administers shalom. Then why don't I have it? Look at John 14, 27. In part of his farewell talks with his disciples, Jesus talks about shalom. And again, just for the sake of clarity, I don't want to always have to say Irene or shalom. So I'm just going to say shalom, but you guys know it. If it's in the New Testament, it's Irene, it's Greek, okay? But just that would help me out if I could just say shalom. Jesus says in John 14, 27, he says, Shalom, I leave with you. My shalom. I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. And then he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So Jesus touches the earth, says Shalom is here. Jesus says, oh, I'm about to leave the earth, but don't worry. I'm leaving you my Shalom. Shalom is not going anywhere. Just because I leave the earth, I'm actually leaving this to you and with you. Psalm 34, 14 tells us that we should actually seek and pursue shalom. Seek it and pursue it. It says in Psalm 34, 14, depart from evil and do good. Seek shalom. That's the, the word peace. It's, it's shalom. Seek shalom and pursue it. Those are two different words, seek and pursue. To seek means to intentionally look for something. So if you're seeking something, that means you don't know where it is, right? You got to find it. I don't know where this is. I don't know where this matching sock is. 
I have to go look for it, right? I don't know where my guitar pick is. Oh, yeah, it's probably on the dryer somewhere, but my dryer just, I mean, it, it produces guitar picks. It's amazing. You put laundry in, and there's five guitar picks. It's, it's unbelievable. It's magic. But to seek something is, I, I don't have it. I don't know where it is. I have to go look for it. There's an intentionality to it. So Psalm 34 is saying, look, if you don't have peace, you can't just sit and go, man, I can't wait until I have peace. There's an intentional stepping out. I've got to find this. If I don't have it, I've got to go look for it. But then it doesn't just say, seek it. It says pursue it. Well, how is pursue different than seek? Well, you seek something that you, don't, that, you, that you don't know where it is. But when you find it, that's when you pursue it. Right? We've all played chase or hide and seek, right? I'm, I'm going to look for you, but now when I find you, you're taking off running, and I'm about to chase you down. I'm pursuing you. So when you find peace, you can say, oh, I found it. Great, I'm going to have peace now. No, this verse says, okay, now that you found it, good for you, but now you need to go lay hold of it. That's a whole different level of intentionality. You can't just get peace passively. So, how do we find it? How do we get it? How and where do we find shalom? Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. It's a short psalm, so I'll let you figure out which verse we're at. Psalm 119, verse 161 to 165. Anybody here memorize Psalm 119, by the way? Slackers. I'm just glad Jeff hadn't left during my sermon yet, so I guess, I guess we're okay. Either the sermon's good or there's powerful drugs or a little of both. I don't know, but... Psalm 119, 161, 165. Let's read that together. 161. Princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. I rejoice at your word as one who finds a great treasure. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you. Because of your righteous judgments, great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Wow. So how do we seek and find and pursue and lay hold of peace? There's three things in that passage I want us to look at. Number one, it's essential. If we want peace, if we want shalom in our lives, we need to be a people who delight in the word. Delight in the word. It also goes on to tell us that we need to despise falsehood. And we need to declare his praises. 
We need to delight in the word, despise falsehood, and declare his praises. Let's look at each three of these things quickly. The psalmist gives us some insight into finding great peace. First, we see that in his time of great anxiety and turmoil, the psalmist is not shaken because he stands in awe of God's word. You see, the enemy wants us to live in a state of uncertainty, a state of strife, anxiety, and anger. And sometimes, again, when we look around, you're thinking, man, he's actually knocking this out of the park. (laughs) If that's what the enemy wants, if the enemy wants to keep us in a perpetual state of uncertainty, strife, anxiety, and anger, he's killing it. I mean, he does come to kill, steal, and destroy. Well, he's killing this, like he's nailing it. Because you look around, that's how most of us are living our lives, in those states of anxiety and anger and stress and strife and uncertainty. But, there's a good word, but the Lord and his words, they cast out fear. The love of the Lord casts out fear. The word of the Lord calms the storms that rage inside of us. The word of the Lord brings understanding to our hearts and our minds. 1 John 4.18 says it this way, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The enemy says, I want you to stay in a state of fear, which may be why he invented social media. I don't know if he actually invented it, but let's just, just go there. We get to scrolling, and man, it is, let me tell you, it, did you know it is actually designed... It is designed primarily to stir up anxiety and fear in you. That's the whole point of it all. And so we feed into this thing, and it's so hard to get out of. And we say, why am I living in such fear and anxiety? As we're scrolling through the thing that's designed to cause us fear and anxiety. But perfect love, in the arms of perfect love, perfect love says, nope. We're not doing that. It drives out fear in our hearts. Psalm 107, 29 says that his word, he, with his word, he calms the storm so that its waves are still. There's that churning, that, that strife in our hearts, that uncertainty. Even Jesus stood in the midst of the storm and his disciples were freaking out. What are we going to do? This is it. This is the end. We're going to die. And Jesus said, peace, Irene, shalom, be still. His voice quiets the waters. John 8, 43, Jesus says this. He goes, why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You see, as Psalm 119, he says, princes persecute me without cause. That's turmoil. He's feeling great anxiety. He says, but I stand in awe of the word of God. You see, and Jesus said, look, you don't understand my speech because you're actually not listening. You guys know, and and most of your parents in here, you probably do know because you've said this to your kids. There's a difference between hearing me and listening to me. (laughs) Yeah? All the parents said, man, I've said that a thousand times. I heard you, Dad. No, you heard me. I'm sure of that. 
but you're not listening to me. And Jesus says, why don't you understand? Why don't you have understanding in your heart? He said, because you're not listening to me. You hear my words, but you're not listening to them. So God's word drives out all of the things that the enemy is trying to get us to live in a state of. And his word is true. His word is both gentle and powerful. In fact, one psalm says that his word is so powerful, it shatters the cedars of Lebanon. And in the same chapter, it says, and it causes the deer to give birth. You talk about the power and the tenderness of the word of God. And the psalmist is saying, you want shalom? You need to stand in awe of his word. Let his word be your truth. Let his opinion of you be the truth that you, you come into agreement with. It's his word. The next thing it says is to despise falsehood. Despise falsehood. You want peace. We need to despise falsehood. So in addition to delighting in the words of God, it's important to our journey into shalom to despise and declare war on falsehood, deceit, and lies. Proverbs 12, verse 20 says, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. But counselors of peace have joy. Man, I want to tattoo that verse on my kid's arm. But I'm not, Jeff. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace, what a great phrase. Counselors of shalom have joy. So he's, he's given us the contrast there. Deceit and evil, shalom and joy. They, can't, they don't coexist. Proverbs 6, 16 and 19, look at that one. It says, six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Okay, alert. This is <laughs> a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Now, if that doesn't strike the fear of God in you, <laughs> I don't know what does. Because I read that this week, and I'm going, I could check that box, I could check that box. I haven't shed any innocent blood this week. But um, some of those boxes, e. Because the Lord hates those. So can we walk in the shalom, whole, the wholeness of, of God himself while we're practicing, intentionally practicing the things that he goes, these are abominations to me. Those, those don't coexist. A deceitful heart and a lying tongue stand in direct opposition to the shalom of God. A deceitful heart and a lying tongue stand in direct opposition to the shalom of God. This is true in the way that we speak to and about other people and other things. It's also true concerning that which we consume. Again, where do we, what are we feeding our eyes? What, what are we setting our eyes before? What are we feeding our spirits with? Half-truths, spin, 
Those things are feeding us deceit. And then we go around talking to people, sharing news, sharing things, half-truths, sometimes knowing they're half-truths, but if we told the whole truth, it wouldn't prove our point, so we do half-truths so that it proves our point. Because that's called deceit. And it's really hard to walk in the shalom of God when we knowingly and intentionally just practice deceit. What are we consuming? Again, I said earlier, sometimes we need to watch the news a little bit more so we can be informed, but for a lot of us, we need to watch the news a whole lot less. Because again, not only is social media designed to stir you up, the news stations are actually designed to stir you up. You say, well, not mine. Mine is... But not this channel. Oh, you haven't heard this channel. So a steady diet of deceit and lying, it's going to stand in opposition for us actually finding shalom in our hearts and our lives. So are we way too eager to share and disseminate information that we know is slanted or dishonest or lacking integrity? This may be one of the factors that keeps us from experiencing shalom. The third thing, so we talked about delighting in the word. We talked about despising deceit. The third thing that the psalmist says in 119 is that we should declare God's praises. Praise is the declaration of who God is. It's a reminder to ourselves and the world around us that the prince of shalom is the one who sits in the, middle of the, in the midst of the throne. Praise, praise declares and says to the world around us, there is one upon the throne, and his name is peace. Praise is coming into agreement with who God is. Revelation 7, 17 one of the beautiful throne room passages, it says, For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd his people and lead them from lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. That sounds like shalom, doesn't it? No more tears, no more crying, no more pain. He goes, Jesus will lead his people to that place. And by the way, he's in the midst of the throne. And by the way, his name is Peace, Prince of Peace. So praise lifts our eyes. It reorients our emotions. Praise changes our perspective. The Bible says that praise is befitting the saints in every circumstance. That's Psalm 147. Go read that one. Praise is, it says praise is beautiful. Praise beautifies. It's befitting of the saint in every circumstance, not just in seasons of blessing. Praise beautifies the saints, especially when you praise in the midst of struggle and pain. And one of the ways that the shalom of God rules in our hearts is through corporate praise. Not just praise, personal praise, although I hope you do that. But the Bible tells us in Colossians, we're going to read this passage, that one of the ways that we actually find peace is through the corporate praise 
of the people of God. Look at Colossians 3, 15 and 16. It says, and let the peace, the irene shalom of God rule in your hearts. Yes, that's what we want, right? What do we want? Shalom. When do we want it? Now, right? So he goes, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Okay, the very next verse says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Well, I don't have peace. One of the ways you can find peace is to gather with the people of God and declare his goodness. Let it reign in your hearts. Well, how? Well, ministering to one another. That's an interesting word there. I could understand if he says ministering to God in Psalms, spirits, and hear Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? We would get that. Yeah, that's what we do. We worship God. Well, did you know there is a ministering to one another when we come together and worship God? Because, beloved, when I know you and you know me, and I know what you're going through, and I see you release your heart and declaration of trust in the Lord, it ministers to me. When I know you've been dealing with a sickness and you can't find that, that healing breakthrough, and yet you stand in the congregation and you say, Lord, I trust you and I love you. Your ways are just and true. Oh my gosh, I know the anguish you're going through and you still have by faith, you still uh, release that song of praise to the Lord. My heart is moved. When you're going through financial troubles and you show up and you sing, God is my good shepherd, he will supply all of my needs. That moves my heart. So not only do we worship him and praise him for who he is, there's a corporate element to it. And if we stop, if we, we, if we don't value that, we actually have a hard time finding the shalom of God in our hearts. Because again, the word shalom is a relational word. So we need each other. I can't find full shalom in my heart apart from you guys. We find it in the context of corporate praise. So let me just give an overview. You know, I like to review... Let me just ball all this up for you. Shalom is the confident knowing that all is well in the presence of love. Shalom is one of the foundations of God's kingdom. Is that not what the scripture says? The, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness what? Irene shalom. The foundation of his kingdom. He goes, this is the foundation of the kingdom. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Not only that, scripture urges us to seek shalom and to pursue shalom. And the pathway to experiencing and living in the shalom of God includes delighting in God's word, despising deception, and declaring the praises of God. And it's God's sovereign design for us to walk in this, to walk in shalom. It's also God's command that we pray that his shalom would enter and remain in the city of Jerusalem to bring this full circle.
pray for the peace of Jerusalem, saying this, may they prosper who love you, and may peace, shalom, be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. So Calvary, may we be a people who intentionally and vigorously seek and pursue the shalom of God and faithfully and zealously pray that the shalom of God would not only be our portion, but would be Jerusalem's portion, both in this hour and forevermore. Shalom. Would you stand? We hope you've enjoyed this episode from Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.